Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Good morning and welcome. Happy Fourth of July. We're grateful for a beautiful day. We're very thankful for each and every person who is present today. We're thankful to have visitors with us. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are very grateful for the many blessings of freedom that we enjoy in this country. We are not to take those blessings for granted, and I know that we don't. But we want to continue to pray that God will richly bless this nation for many, many years to come. We're going to be looking today at the book of Jonah, and we're going to just take some excerpts from chapters 1 and 3. There is a lot that could be said about the book of Jonah, but I want us to talk for just a moment or two about a city in need of conversion. And as we look at the book of Jonah, there are some things that maybe we ought to reflect upon for just a moment or two, particularly in light of the fact that this is the 4th of July and that we have been so richly blessed in this country. And there are some parallels in looking at the city of Nineveh to some of the cities that are gracing this country as we know it today. So with that in mind, let's look at chapter 1 as we think about the theme, a city in need of conversion. The first thing I want to call your attention to is the call of the prophet. When you look at the call of the prophet, I guess one of the things that you could stress is the pity of the Lord because God pitied the city of Nineveh. God had mercy on the city of Nineveh. Two things that come to mind. First of all, God's concern for Nineveh. And really God's concern for the city of Nineveh is reflected in the call of Jonah. And so with that in mind, look if you would at verse 2. God said to Jonah in the long ago, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. One of the things that I would want to call your attention to is that God was moved by love to save the city of Nineveh. When you look at God and the character of God, you have to be impressed with His great love, with His mercy, His compassion for the human family. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. And because of that great love, He set in motion what we typically call the scheme of redemption. Without God's love, without His grace and mercy... There would be no plan of redemption. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When mankind transgressed in the, law of, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, when they transgressed His law, God set in motion His redemptive plan, beginning in chapter 3, verse 15. And going forward, we find that plan unfolding by Almighty God. Well, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so God is concerned about members of the human family. Now we talk about 
the people who lived in Nineveh. As you know, these people were not Israelites. They were not Jews. And one of the problems that Jonah had was because of the atrocities of the Ninevite people. How could God, in his great wisdom, decree to spare this city? Jonah had a real problem with that. And yet if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, God said through Moses that he loved the stranger. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the non-Israelite. As a matter of fact, the Israelites were to have been a witness to the Gentile people based on the book of Isaiah. And many of the Jews misunderstood that, and namely, Jonah had difficulty understanding that lesson. But we talk about God's concern for Nineveh, but also God's characterization of Nineveh. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 2. God said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. If you look back to history, you'll find that Nineveh was known for immorality, idolatry, and cruelty. As a matter of fact, they were an extremely cruel group of people. Now, many of the historical records lend evidence to the base and ungodly ways of the Ninevite people. When we look at the city of Nineveh, some, to some extent, Nineveh is a reflection of many, many cities across our country today. I said just a moment ago that Nineveh was known for cruelty. Now, one has said that they would literally pile the severed heads of their enemies up in the city. Now, we talk about cruelty. That is cruelty to the extreme. And yet in our nation, how many cities practice abortion? Think about all of the unborn children that have been aborted across cities in the United States of America, all sanctioned by the laws of our land. I said just a moment ago that Nineveh was known for her immorality. We live in a day and time in which there are those who are propagating the homosexual movement. They see nothing wrong with it. And yet, we know that Scripture forbids that kind of lifestyle. But nonetheless, when you look at the character of Nineveh, God said in the long ago, their wickedness has come up before me. If God were to survey the landscape of many of the cities that, that are running from east to west, north and south in America, what would he say? If God were to survey the city of Memphis, the city of Olive Branch, if he were to take an inside look at many of the great metropolitan cities across our nation, what would he conclude? What would he say? Would he say that this is a righteous nation? The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or a shame to any people. I would point out that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, according to Proverbs chapter 15 at verse 3. God sees everything, and God knows everything. So we talk about the call of the prophet. But secondly, think with me, if you would, about 
the cry of the prophet. What we want to now think about is his preaching the Lord. Now, we're not going to take time to look at how Jonah initially rebelled against the will of God and did not honor his will to go to Nineveh. But we pick up in chapter 3, and Jonah has had what might be called a change of heart. He's now ready to engage in the work that God has called him to do. And so, with that in mind, let's look at chapter 3. The first thing I want to call your attention to is the magnitude of the city. Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Nineveh was the capital city of the mighty Assyrian Empire. Now, the text tells us that it took some three days to travel the circumference of the city of Nineveh. Look at verse 3, if you would. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. So this was, this was quite a city. Also, the text tells us that it was a large city. Look over in chapter 4, verse 11. In chapter 4, verse 11, God said, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much livestock? So there were 120,000 young people residing in the city of Nineveh. How do we know they were young people? Well, because the text tells us they couldn't discern between their right hand and their left hand. So if you, if you were to put that together, you would conclude that there were probably some 600,000 or so individuals populating the city of Nineveh. So it was a great city. It was a massive city. If you want to think about it in modern day terms, I think the city of Memphis, at least metropolitan Memphis, if you were to just look at the city excluding Shelby County, is about 700,000 people. It's, it's a large city. Well, Nineveh was a large city. But note, if you would, the message to the city. Picking up in verse 4, Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Now, God had instructed him on what to say. As a matter of fact, God had said to preach to it the message that I tell you. Haggai, in the long ago, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 13, he said he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. Well, what was the message that Jonah was instructed to impart to the people that lived in the city of Nineveh? Here's what he said. He cried out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Three things I want to call your attention to about the message that Jonah delivered to the people living in the city of Nineveh. Number one, it was a succinct message. Think about it. In seven words, God detailed exactly what he was going to do to the Ninevite people. Listen again. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God, through the prophet, was to the point. He didn't mince any words. As a matter of fact, he stated it in very plain terminology. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Now, there are a lot of very similar, succinct statements in Scripture. We may not like them. We may not appreciate them. But nonetheless, they are 
statements that are found in divine truth. Take, for example, what Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 3, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. That is succinct, it's plain, it's not hard to understand. Well, when Jonah began preaching to these people in Nineveh, it was very succinct. Secondly, not only was it a succinct message, it was a straightforward message. No hidden agendas. No, in no way trying to conceal what God intended to do to the people of Nineveh. Very transparent. Very, very forthright. Listen again. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You want to talk about straightforward, succinct statements in Scripture. Here is one. Very straightforward in what God was going to do to the city of Nineveh. Now, there are a lot of statements in Scripture, not just succinct, but straightforward. I cited just a moment ago, Luke 13, verse 3, verse 5. Except you repent, you will all, all likewise perish. Not hard to understand. Take, for example, on Pentecost Day when Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Well, that's straightforward. It's just very transparent, not hard, to, not hard to understand. Thirdly, not only was it a succinct message, not only was it a straightforward message, it was a sobering message. Listen again to what the prophet said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We talk about sobering messages. And I believe that this is one of the most sobering messages in the Bible. God is saying to the Ninevite people, a population of some 600,000 people, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. Now just imagine, here's the prophet. And he goes into the city of Nineveh and he, and he begins to cry out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 39 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. 38 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days is not that long. I really think that there are passages of Scripture found in the Bible that ought to be sobering to us. For example, this is, in a sense, a judgment on the Ninevite people. God is judging these people. Why? Because of their ungodliness, because of their wickedness. Very similar to what God did to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as found back in the book of Genesis. And they serve as an example to all who will live ungodly based on 2 Peter chapter 2. God is serving notice here. He is not going to tolerate wickedness. He's not going to put up with it. So, it was a succinct message. It was a straightforward message. And it was a sobering message. Now, the third thing I want to call your attention to is the contrition of the people. That is, they were penitent before the Lord. Note, if you would, their reception to the word of the Lord. They were receptive people in the city of Nineveh. Note what is said in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, we might 
we might have a lot to say about the Ninevite people and their wicked ways, their ungodliness. But you've got to give them credit for one thing. They listened to what God said. Here were people that were not Israelite people. They, they were not the custodians of divine scripture. They were outside that covenant relationship with Almighty God. And yet God demonstrated compassion and pity toward them. He shows love toward them. And the Bible says they believed God. The psalmist said in the long ago, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. When you and I take the evidence that's before us, which is the Scripture, when we take Scripture, put it under a microscope, analyze it, we have to draw some conclusions. Are we going to believe what God in His Word has said, or will we live in, in unbelief? Will we say, doesn't matter what God says? Will we say, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to do my own thing? Are we going to live in a state of rebellion? Maybe we're living an ungodly lifestyle. Maybe our lives are, are filled with wickedness. Are we going to say, well, you know what? God may think that, but I'm going to do my own thing. Well, individuals who demonstrate wisdom put two and two together and draw the right conclusions. In other words, they believe God. They believe what God has said through His Word. When you look in the New Testament, you'll see individuals that lived base lifestyles. Let me give you an example. Look at the city of Corinth. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, that many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now, make no mistake about it. The city of Corinth was a moral cesspool of ungodliness. How do I know that? Well, when I pick up over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, or rather covetous, nor drunkards or revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11 he said, And such were some of you. Now you just think about, here is the Apostle Paul. He's going to the city of Corinth. Corinth was well known as a place of immorality, idolatry, ungodliness. Paul didn't wave those people off. Paul didn't get to the city of, of Corinth and say, you know what, these people wouldn't be interested. Paul didn't say, because they're so steeped in their ungodly ways, they're not going to listen to what I have to say. No, he spent 18 months there preaching and teaching the gospel, and his teaching and preaching was met with good and honest hearts. Many of those people believed what they heard, and they responded in a favorable way. The same thing's true when, when we look at the people who lived in the city of Nineveh. They listened to the word of God, and they responded. The soil in the city of Nineveh was fertile. Now, I really believe when we look across the landscape of our nation today, there are a lot of cities across this great country. If you want to just get right down to, to what is the plain, hard truth of the matter, there are a lot of cities across this nation that are steeped in wickedness. They are steeped in ungodliness. And yet, despite all of that, 
I'm convinced that there are still honest and good hearts. That is, there are people in our country that given the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel, they would do that. They simply need to be shown there is a better way of life. They need to understand that there is a standard. That standard is God's Word. That there is a God in heaven who loves them, that wants them to be saved. We live in a day and time. Did you know that this country, America, is now called a post-Christian nation? That ought to get our attention. When, when, I, was, when I was growing up in, in Chattanooga, for the most part, people across the landscape of this country, they believed in the one true God. We didn't have a problem with pluralism like we do today. We didn't have a problem with rampant immorality like we do today. And yet, despite all of that in our nation today, there are still people that given the opportunity would do something in a favorable way towards living for the Lord. What's it going to take? It's going to take you and me sharing the gospel of Christ, demonstrating the faith and the courage of Jonah. So we talk about their reception, but note also their repentance. The Bible says not only did they believe God, but they proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree, neither man nor beast, or rather by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So what do you have here? You have individuals that listen to what Jonah had to say in the long ago. In other words, he got their attention. Jonah said, look, in 40 days, Nineveh's coming down. It's going to be overthrown. The Bible says they believed what the prophet had to say. They believed in Almighty God and they repented. They turned, they changed. You know what's needed in this country today? Let me tell you. What is needed in America, and I'm talking about from the, from the east to the west, from the north to the south, doesn't matter. What is needed in our nation today is what's called good, old-fashioned, heartfelt repentance. From the top all the way to the bottom. What our country needs today is to repent. We are living in a nation filled with thousands upon thousands of cities comprised of precious people made in the image and the likeness of God who need to repent. How do I know that? Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The same Bible says there is none righteous, no not one. There's a passage of Scripture that I think we need to, that we need to reflect upon. 
It's found in the book of Daniel, chapter 4. In Daniel, chapter 4, the, the prophet said in the long ago that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. Now listen to him. Sometimes we miss this part. The Bible says, and he gives it to whomsoever he will. Listen, God brought this nation into existence and he can take it out of existence. God is the one that gave life to this nation. And God is the one that can put this nation to death. I don't care what people think in Washington, in New York City, in Hollywood, it does not matter. We are a country, we are a nation of people by the grace of Almighty God. And the same God that brought this nation into being can take it out. And I can assure you one thing. If we don't step back and recognize that righteousness exalts a nation, but that sin is a reproach or a shame to any people, God will take us out. How do I know that? All I have to do is look back at history. Where is the mighty Babylonian Empire? You know where it is? It is in antiquity. Where is that mighty nation known as the Medes and the Persians? They're gone. Where is the Grecian Empire? They're gone. Where is the Roman Empire? It's gone. Nations come and nations go. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Nowhere in the Word of God do we find that God has given us the keys to the nation of America, known as America, and just said, have it your way. Do it your way. We need to wake up in this country. And there are cities all across this nation that need to awaken to the truth of Almighty God. There are cities in our nation today that are doing everything within their power to drive us in the ground. Look at Hollywood. Look at New York City. Two of the mega communication giants in our nation. What are they doing? They are driving a death nail in our nation. Now I'm not a prophet. And maybe by the grace of God, this nation will continue to stand for hundreds of years. But I know this. If I look back at history and I see how God dealt with cities and nations of people in days gone by, God did not turn a blind eye to immorality, to ungodliness, and to wickedness. He destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Some 150 years later, guess what? God destroyed the city of Nineveh. Read the book of Nahum. God doesn't play. When God says he'll do something, he'll do it. So we have their reception, we have their repentance, and then finally we have their redemption. Look at verse 10. The Bible says that God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God changed his mind. God said, look, in 40 days I'm going to destroy the city of Nineveh because they repented, because they turned to him and believed what he had to say. God averted the disaster that was coming upon them. 
I don't know how long this country will last. I hope and pray that God will continue to bless it for many, many years to come. And tonight we're going to look at, a st at the state of our nation. But I really believe if you look at our nation and you look at many of the cities across the landscape of this country, the seeds have been sown for the bringing down of this nation. What we're going to have to do is turn back to God. We're going to have to be impressed with the words of Solomon when he said, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a shame, a reproach to any people. What we need to do is pray for this nation. We need to pray for the leaders of this nation that they will open their eyes to divine truth. That they will read what is said in the Bible, that they will believe it, and that they will do their dead level best to honor God's holy word. You take a Bible out of the nation, and we're doing everything within our power to remove the word of God from our nation. You take a Bible away from a nation of people, and guess what? It is on a collision course with disaster. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the many blessings and favors that we enjoy in this country. We're thankful for your love, your care, your mercy, your grace. We're thankful for the freedom that we enjoy in this land. We ask, Holy Father, your richest blessings upon our nation. Father, we acknowledge that in this nation, we are not what we ought to be. And we pray for the leaders of this nation and the world over. May we as a nation of people believe what you have said and what you have written in your word. And may we turn from the course that we're on, from wickedness to striving to live righteous, godly, productive lives in your sight. We ask, Holy Father, that you would bless us and be with us. Bless our homes. Bless us, Holy Father, with wisdom to do what's right and to shun the evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Could we encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? The Bible says, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. The Bible also says that if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we would want to repent, to turn to Almighty God, to confess His name before others, and then to be baptized into Christ so that every sin could be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. And then the exhortation is to be faithful until death, and the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Could we pray with you and for you? knowing that God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?